You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number nine. Today, we're talking about how to inspire your patients to want to experience themselves at optimum health. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fee Gitchen. Today, Fee and I are talking about ways in which we can inspire our patients to want to experience themselves at optimum health. We all have patients who we would so dearly love to see emerge from suffering, but they just can't seem to connect with their body's potential for great health and healing. There are also the people who know what optimum health is and have experienced it and just need our support and guidance to get back there. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. So welcome to today's episode. I think it'll be a good starting point to to really just come back to the definition of optimum health and what, what do we mean when we say optimum health? Fee, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. So optimum health is really like the the long-term healthy potential that your body holds. It's not necessarily where you are uh, if you look back on most of your life. Even if you look back and say, yeah, I've been pretty healthy. Optimum health is more so where you can get your health to if you eat super well and you exercise and you do all these things that are good for you in your lifestyle and your mind. Um, so for me, inspiring people to get to optimum health is more so about, first of all, making sure they realise there's an experience they can have that's beyond the standard Australian diet and lifestyle. Um and, and then getting there. And then, of course, we have, um, you know, I have a number of patients who are dancers or athletes. And um, so for them, optimum health has a lot to do with being able to reach their goals as well physically. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, there is a lot of um, pathology that has become normalised within our modern culture. And so the idea of headaches being normal, the idea of period pain, being normal, um, there's a lot of things that don't represent your body functioning at optimum health that are not even considered to be, they're almost not considered to be legitimate issues. And yet as, um, as Chinese medicine practitioners and as people who work in the area of natural health, it is definitely something that we see as, as key markers of disharmony within the body. Mm. And so all of us on some level are working towards, in, you know, getting patients back to optimum or getting patients to a point of optimum health, whether or not they've ever been there before in their life. Right. But I guess part of the, a big part of the issue is that sometimes people are coming to us, they don't necessarily um, grasp the profoundness of what that might mean for them. And so they come... They come to the clinic only when they're in firefighting mode. So they only come when they've got a migraine or they only come when they've put their back out rather than um, being able to connect to that idea of not only getting rid of the back pain and not ever having back pain again 
But what could happen when you support their kidney chi, for example, and you know, and what that might mean for them in other areas of the house. Right, they might discover new um, skills within the personality, for example. Um, it, it reminds me the whole concept of what is optimum health and trying to uh, explain and inspire it to Australian patients really reminds me of being in first year in the very first beginning of Foundations of Chinese Medicine and we're presented with this idea that um, for Chinese medicine it's inferior medicine to be treating the existing illness um, and you don't get to use superior medicine until you're working on preventing future illness and you're pretty much just trying to keep someone in the optimum zone where their chi is balanced, obviously in every moment as well, you don't ever get perfectly balanced chi because then the next moment comes along and, you know, it's like when is the perfect moment between day and night? Well, they'll always cycle. Mm -hmm. But um, we've got this continually changing moment, but if the body can be in a state of really good resilience, no chronic issues, they've got optimal body weight, their emotional and mental well-being um, is in a place where they are doing healthy things for themselves in their internal dialogue and within their lifestyle, um, then we get to be working on the superior medicine of preventing future illness. Um, so I think that's an interesting place to start with some patients, at least in terms of discussion about where they see the role of medicine in a community because the role of medicine in the West is to deal with health problems after they've arisen. Mm. Um, we, we have a medicine that has a very different potential. Yeah, and I guess that's, uh, that's the beauty of um, having access to the tools of our medicine that you know were developed at various times when when um, physicians were were forced to look for more subtle signs of disease and illness and, you know, they were looking for causes and looking for um, maybe symptoms that they might have missed. You know, if someone had something really bad that went wrong with their liver, it's like, oh, well, we could, you know, that we could know that they... They were just a really, you know, they were so angry for just years. You know, maybe it was the anger that caused their liver to get upset. And I guess those subtle signs that we all know so well from our training and just from, you know, from the theory of practicing the medicine every day, I guess we come to rely on them more. If someone doesn't come in presenting with any symptoms, that we're really looking for those subtle changes in their complexion and in their pulse and if there's a there's a change in the temperature or the, the moistness of, of their skin in certain areas and how do we then use that to diagnose an energetic disharmony and develop a treatment plan out of that. I guess for me that's it is it can be more difficult to detect things at that early stage and I can understand well, I guess that's my one of my understandings of why why it's superior medicine mm. to be doing preventative medicine because I think it does require more skill. Yeah, and also it brings the the medicine that we're doing more into the realm of the constitutional treatment. 
So, you know, I often have blood deficiency. I, I very much have the experience and the observation that I've inherited it. Um, no matter how many blood tonics I take, I can't imagine ever not being at least slightly in the category of blood deficiency, but I can get to the place where it's not really acting out upon my, my body and my experience uh, in a negative way. There are no symptoms from it. Yet you could still look at my body and identify me as a sort of a, a blood deficiency, spleen constitution type character um, or patient. And so there's always that that can be nourished. We can always nourish those constitutional factors. Um, and where does someone experience themselves and their health after um, one month of nourishing their constitutional factor versus... Um, what if they've been nourishing their constitutional factor for 20 years? Mm. You know, where does that take them? Because I know that, um, you know, drinking, taking blood tonic herbs didn't do everything it could do for me within the first six months. This is now 16 years later since I first had my first blood tonic formula <laughs> and I take them pretty much all the time. And I would say that it continues to provide something from my body um, on a day-to-day basis, but it also continues over like a year or a decade basis to provide something to my body that it wasn't providing previously. Mm. Yeah. And I think also um, getting back to the idea of emotional and mental well-being as being part of the picture of optimum health, um, you know, I've had patients who come for regular treatment for you know, for sometimes years at a time. Um, and I recall, you know, I recall cases where where patients have fallen in love for the first time in their life after having six or 12 months of acupuncture. It's, you know, where it's opened up, opened up the heart in order for them to be able to experience something that they've never been able to experience before. And I guess that's something that you can't put into a brochure and you can't really... Um, you can't necessarily predict these things, but I guess there's some of the nice side effects, I guess, of um, of doing this optimising approach to patients' health and wellbeing. These nice side effects that happen in terms of integrating a patient more fully into themselves at the same time as increasing their inner harmony. Yeah. Often uh, when I first start treating a patient... Uh, I will identify to them two possible treatment plans. And one is, okay, you've come in for knee pain and um, you've revealed your digestive issues, which you didn't fully know you were coming in for, but now we've, we've got those. We realise we can treat both of those with Chinese medicine. So the patient might be willing to give that a go and that might be a treatment plan for a few months. Um, and to suggest to them to come back to keep tuning up their digestion and, and to prevent. But then there's the, the other treatment plan which basically says, okay, so when we get you to a point where you think that your digestive issues aren't too bad, is that when you're going to stop or are you then going to get it beyond that level and start looking at then what types of illness or what type of health issues might you be susceptible to as well 
that either come and go in a niggling way or that you've never experienced that might be in your family history but in your possible future do we then move into a phase of treatment whereby we yes we look after the tendency for the knees and the gut to have issues but they're mostly let's say the issues are in the past and then does the patient then understand that they could keep coming in um to look at not developing the um or well, let's say the arthritis and the bowel cancer down the track that run in the family. Mm. Um, and I think also we have a wonderful um, a wonderful framework that we can apply. And if someone comes in and they have knee pain and they also have digestive pain, to use that example, we can say, okay, well, here's where your stomach channel goes mm. and here's where the spleen channel goes and this is how it's all related. And sometimes that wow moment of people going, oh, it's all connected, you know, I'm not just this ball of, you know, 10 different problems that requires 10 different specialists and 15 different medications that um, that by choosing to address the underlying cause that there's all number of problems that can dissolve and go away. And, and I guess, the you know, that's part of what we're talking about today is how do you find that hook, how do you find that in to help, you know, there are some patients who are in real desperate need, um, but if you can't connect with them to be mm. able to see the see that possibility, that it can be really difficult for them to agree to commit to being better, to, to getting better. Yeah. So let's go through some of the barriers, the most common barriers that we see in patients for cultivating or maintaining optimum health. I think, you know, we kind of have two groups of people and one is the people who have experienced optimum health and being very fit as well and and they just want to get back to that. And then there's the other group that have probably never experienced optimum health uh, and aren't even aware of it as a concept because they don't really know their body can do more than where it may arrive if it's on the standard Australian diet and Western lifestyle. Yeah, and I think for me, I find it a lot easier to um, to communicate with women, particularly women of reproductive age, because you've got that monthly report card of the menstrual cycle where, you know, defining for a woman, hey, this is what a period is meant to be like. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, look, I just got my period. Oh, look, it's finished. And there's no lead up. There's no pain. There's no I'm feeling wiped out. There's no I want to kill everyone it's just bleeding starts goes for a few days bleeding stops and wouldn't it be wonderful if life was like that mm. wow you know I've had I go through a packet of painkillers every month and I you know I have to take time off work and it's really heavy or it comes only when it wants to and and the idea that we can use that as a tool to monitor their progress I think giving tools to monitor progress Mm-hmm. Um, is important because if they can see that there is some change that makes it easier for them to stay committed for a longer mm-hmm. a longer term and I guess for women it's it's really obvious for them if their menstrual cycle becomes more harmonious right. um, I think for men I find it a little bit more difficult unless they're coming in for fertility mm-hmm. because fertility is also about optimizing health and often there's a big um, you know, there's much larger stakes at play with fertility. You know, it's 
the possibility of spending big bucks at IVF and it might not even be working. Right. Um, and they, you know, fertility patients tend to be more easily motiv- motivated than, um, mm. you know, just a, a an electrician coming in for chronic back pain. Right. You know, they might just think- be happy to come in for their treatment every week and not really ever get better, but, you know, the acupuncture allows them to continue their, mm. you know, indulgent lifestyle of beer and pizza on the weekends. So what, what let's, I'm trying to identify some of the main barriers to cultivating optimum health other than not being aware of it. We also have that uh, perhaps people aren't motivated to experience anything new out of life or perhaps they're concerned about experiencing disconnection Mm. if they were to shuffle out of the zone that most of the people they know are in as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, social pressure I think is a really important one. mm. You know, all of my friends are doing these things and I don't want to lose that connection with them by making drastic changes. Well, just eating well. Food is one of the most communal and bonding social activities that we have and it's sometimes very difficult to get out of sharing food with people because they'll be offended because they almost expect that if you're sharing with me, we'll eat together. And yet that's kind of strange if I'm, if, if we're expecting other people to suffer from what they're eating mm. in order to give us that experience of connection. So I find there's a lot of discussions to be had there as well to help people to figure out how to navigate being social and eating healthy. Mm. Um, and eating eating well for them, you know, not not picking fights with their body by eating gluten or eating something that they know that they react to simply mm. to keep the peace within a friendship circle. Um, right. That's yeah. That's a tricky one. I think also alcohol is a really big one. Um, particularly in Australia, we have a really big binge drinking culture, and it's in certain circles it's socially expected that people will not only drink but drink to excess. You know, and that might you know drinking to excess might only mean only mean you know having four or five, maybe six drinks in one night, but that's quite a lot of alcohol in one sitting and um, and certain people are far more susceptible than others and those social pressures around what's expected, mm. knowing that it's toxic, you know, that you, can, you can't really have that same toxic engagement discussion around alcohol because it, people are doing it for a different purpose. They're not doing it for... You know, like the collegiality of a shared meal and that friendship, it's a very different experience when you're going out and getting pissed with your mates. Mm. Um, How do you go about addressing that one thing? Well, I just want to say I think there's a lot of, in Australian culture as well, where it is a dinner and yet each participant might drink a bottle or two of wine to themselves. And I've come across this a lot, especially in Melbourne. Um, where it's just a thing, it's just normal. Do you drink? Yeah, do you drink much? Not really, just on the weekends. Okay, so what do you drink and how much do you drink? And it's like two bottles of red wine every Friday and Saturday night. No, I'm not going out. No, I'm just having dinner at a friend's house and that's just what we do. And, you know, I've come across a lot of this as well. So then 
um, it does become, it has a big social implication for them in terms of how do I participate in my life and not drink this much, mm. you know. So um, methods of inspiring, if we're going to move into methods of inspiring, I have to go to the very top, top method, which is I start with asking people why are you here and what I'm asking is why are you here on the planet? What are you bringing and what do you hope to share? And then to start working through with that patient, really identifying all the blockages that might be around that person living it. And often that has to do with whether or not they feel worthy, whether or not they're committed to themselves, whether or not they deserve this and that, um, whether or not they believe in themselves and and whatever it is they're, they're here for. So I think all those other all the things that we do in our life that reduce our optimum health are really all the ways that we communicate to ourselves why we want to delay fully being here. Either we don't know why we're here or we are daunted by it or no one else is really living their true purpose around me yet so I don't want to kind of become isolated by taking that into my lifestyle. I think that's one of the, um, you know, that, that idea that once you know what optimum health could be, which, you know, most practitioners are going to um, offer that idea to their patients in the first session or two. Mm. Once you know what it is and then if you're choosing not to go down that path, that often, you know, that those issues of self-sabotage and, um, you know, that, I think your shamanic training and your shamanic background really comes into the forefront here where, you know, you really, you've got those tools to use your words and your discussions with patients to really just kind of cut through the bullshit and, um, and get to the heart of the matter, you know, and to connect with people in a way that does, that does bring them into a space where they can take on that possibility of, mm. hey, this could actually be pretty awesome. Mm. Well, sometimes they're not really that keen on it. They feel so unwell, like that just clearing up a few symptoms would please them no end. And and maybe that's all that's all they're going to do and that's fine. So I think it's really important that we don't present it with judgment mm-hmm. as to, oh, well, you don't want to go as – you don't want to be the best you can, so – you know, and that's funny, I think that comes up in that inferior and superior medicine because if you were to ask the people being treated how much they appreciate the experience of the medicine, those getting inferior medicine will be very appreciative because it will resolve their pain or something. Totally. Um, and then I think the other thing is to give people the opportunity to experience just imagining meeting themselves at optimum health, well-being and happiness. And if you can guide them through, well, basically anyone will imagine it if you really just say it. So I know all the listeners are currently imagining it. Yeah. Even if you don't mean to be, somewhere in your mind that's that's kind of playing out now. So that can then create a link with the, themselves, the person with themselves, to 
<clears throat> start to realize the possibilities of that becoming a true possibility, a real experience. Um, and especially if, and this is nice and cosmic for those of you that like it, uh, especially if that person is going to go on and experience their optimum health, um, their future self there will create a link with their current self, which they'll experience as a form of inspiration mm. um, because they've already done it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like that. And I do see that with some of your patients. You've you've um, facilitated some really awesome transformations in some of your patients and um, it's really great to see um, and, and I'm sure that all of us have had have had one or two or will have one or two patients over the years where we can really sort of pull on that as an example of what mm. what awesomeness can come from our medicine. I think one of the one of the really important methods for me is um, just really nailing that rapport building in the first session. And if someone is coming in and they are really suffering, that if I can have that person leave the clinic either 100% or really close to pain-free and feeling really comfortable within themselves, that that's really um, one of the best things that I can do in terms of inspiring them. I really, I guess in some ways it probably sounds pretty bad, but I do I do have high expectations of what our medicine can do. I have really high expectations of what acupuncture can do. And I say to my patients, I expect you to leave pain-free. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I've got plan A, B, C and D that I'm going to be doing today until such time as you are pain-free or as close to as possible. And knowing that I'm dedicated to them feeling well and that I'm not going to give up on them, I think allows them to feel a bit safer. And, you know, what you were saying before about not having judgment, I'm quite happy to hold that space for my patient until such time or even if they choose to, they may not to, but until they can make that choice for themselves um, that I can hold that space for them. I think sometimes also it's kind of a slow process that occurs really quietly. Um, some of the examples I can think of is when people do come in for assistance with fertility. They've had a lot of issues falling pregnant, but they're really willing to work towards their optimum health because they want to have a child. And some of these people don't get pregnant. And yet they they may have spent two years with you or three years, or, you know, working on their health. And so they end up with this experience, which is not the one that they were trying to get from life, but they end up with this optimum health and well-being and then that informs where they go, um, especially if they are someone who really wants children and is, is coming to terms with that they may never have them or that they will never have them and they go through that transition while they're with you. or And, and their energy, when it is healthier at least, is more able to help them find their other purposes mm. or their other paths. I remember one patient really had such a big transformation of, you know, so many things in her emotions and mind and worldview and went off on this massive path and started doing care work once a month with foster children and really started to implement into their life what they could do with their energy because they were so healthy and happy and they'd reached all their goals except 
um, they weren't going to conceive and they didn't have a partner anyway. And so they were then in this place with this abundant, healthy energy to choose what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just got so much joy out of they got so much joy out of that and the turn their life took and I got so much joy out of witnessing that and helping them experience in that kind of inspirational way whereby look you have all of this to give and you can give it and most people are at their most happy when they feel like they're giving what what they've got to give in the world and and no one can really do that without um, happy chi and health. And <laughs> it could even be someone in a wheelchair experiencing optimum health for them. Mm. You know, so what's your optimum is really what we're trying to get at and what would you do with it? Mm. And, you, you know, is that something you want to do in this life? What a great chat. We could talk all day about this and maybe we might come and revisit it again at some other time. But uh, we really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and we hope to hear from you um, on our Facebook page. Please let us know what your thoughts are on inspiring your patients to experience themselves at Optimum Health. Mm-hmm. Each week when a new episode goes online, we'll post it on the Facebook page and you can keep the comments connected to the episode that you're discussing. So it should be fairly easy for you to find, hopefully. Um, and we'd love to interact with you there. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening. Bye.